It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David. And uh, Chris is not with me this week, but I have a uh, more than capable guest going to fill in. I do want to say before we get started to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, like our fa- Facebook page, follow us on Instagram at Digital Killed, the Radio Star Podcast, and subscribe via uh, SoundCloud, Podchaser, Stitcher, or uh, Apple Podcast. And uh, if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcast or uh, Podchaser or on our Facebook page, that we'd greatly appreciate that. And uh, just send me a pic saying, uh, showing what you wrote, and I will uh, get something in the mail for you to uh, thank you for your troubles. So this is going to be a fun uh, episode. This episode I've been trying to put together for a while. Um, I uh, reached out to a uh, message board called the True Fans of the Magpie Salute, uh, probably in July or August, and explained to people there that uh, I was wanting to do a series of Black Crows episodes, basically going... uh, on focusing on uh, individual albums. And so I had a lot of people uh, respond to me saying, hey, they wanted to do it. And one of the first ones to do it uh, was our guest today. So uh, on the uh, Skype hotline with me from uh, New York is Mr. Ian Rice. How are you, Ian? Good. How you doing? Man, I'm uh, I'm doing well. I cannot complain. So um, obviously we met uh, or f- found each other on the uh, true fans of the Magpie Salute uh, message board. Uh, and so uh, I was correct in my assumption that uh, if you're on there, you're probably a Black Crows fan. Uh, I'd like to ask everybody this question. This isn't Crows related. Uh, whenever they come on our podcast, though, the first time, what was your earliest memory of music, and what was the first artist or band that uh, really kind of you know hooked you in for life with uh, you know your passion for music? You know, my my earliest memories of music go back to my uh, my father, and um, he always was playing music around the house but his his main his main band was the stones you know so uh that's as far back as i can remember i remember listening to stones records particularly like sticky fingers you know the mick taylor era. Yeah, yeah 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 you know the uh, you know the best era as far as i'm concerned but uh i agree so that's what uh I, that's what i remember and uh, that was the first band i really hit the ground running with you know so to speak and uh you know like i said it was um Sticky Fingers, uh, Exile on Main Street. I, I kind of fell in love hard with those albums. Well, I mean, those are ones easy to fall in love with. I mean, I love that whole Aaron. I love. Uh, I'm a big fan of Goat's Head Soup. I think it's an underrated album. It certainly is. Um, and, you know, coming down again. Winter. Winter's one of my favorite ballads, and uh, you know, Heartbreaker, and um, those are just all great songs. Yeah, that Mick Taylor era was was definitely very very fruitful. Uh, and those albums to me hold up the best over time. Once you get past that, the Mick Taylor uh, era, some of them really start to sound dated, in my opinion. But the music he did was just uh, was just timeless. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to, you know, I'd hundred percent agree with that because uh, you know the stuff before that can tend to sound a little dated in terms of you know it sound it has that '60s kind of sound to it, you know. Right. And then the stuff after that, I know Mick Jagger always kind of got you know, involved in, he tried to incorporate the, uh, the hip thing at the time, you know, so then the, a lot of those records end up sounding out of place, you know? 
Yeah, like I mean, Some Girls is a great album, but it 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 sounds a little bit you know dated to me. And then of course, Tattoo You and an emotional, especially emotional rescue. Yeah. Um, oh man, that's not a that's not one of that's not one of my favorites. So, um, Ian, I know you you told me before we went on the air that you've done some writing. Um, is is that something that you still do, or is that something that was in the past? You know, I'd like to say I do it uh, as regularly as I used to, but uh, it, uh, you know, for a, a good period, about ten years there, I was writing primarily for Hitting the Note magazine, which started as a, a an Almond Brothers kind of uh fan thing and kind of branched out from there and um I, I did one piece that i sent in about the black crows and i kind of just became the black crows guy there for a while so it was it was really it was really good i wish I, it's it kind of spoiled me in the fact that it was my first major writing gig and i got it very easily so since then it's been harder to catch on somewhere else now that that magazine's out of the picture i uh i had a subscription to that at one point um yeah, it was a great magazine, and uh, that was a that was a fun time to be an Almond Brothers fan too. Oh yeah, I saw yeah. I saw them at the uh, at the Fox Theater in Atlanta in like I think it was ninety nineteen ninety eight or nineteen ninety nine, and mm. it's still one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I saw them on uh, probably on the same tour because for a, a period of like five or six years, I went every summer to see them. I, unfortunately, I didn't see them too often after that. But yeah, I saw them like ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. So, since you worked, for, I mean, wrote for that magazine, did you ever have any interaction with the band, the Almond Brothers? No, I never did. The only I, I had interactions with, um, I did a lot of things with Mark Ford. Um, I did some stuff with Railroad Earth, and um, you know, a few other acts. Never, unfortunately, never branched out. They saved the Almond Brothers stuff for the uh, the heavy hitters there, the guys that have been there a while, you know. Well, uh, so obviously it's going to be a Black Crows episode, and we're going to talk about the album Three Snakes and One Charm here in a minute. But I kind of want to get your background with the Crows as far as when did you first hear them? Um, you know, when did you realize, you know, this was a band that you were probably going to follow, you know, the rest of their existence? And kind of what was the song or album that really, you know, propelled you to come to that conclusion? First thing I heard from them, and I was about... I guess 11 or 12 at the time uh, is when uh, uh, Southern Harmony came out and Remedy was the single. And, you know, I was a kid, so I could only afford singles, you know? So I bought the Remedy single and I really liked it. But on the flip side of that single, it was a, a tape was um, Darling of the Underground Press. And that's, uh, that's really what sold me on the band, a, a B side. It's odd, but uh, you know, well, that's a, that's a band that knows how to put out a B side and, and 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 for me, very frustratingly, they left some of their best work on the table. Oh, absolutely! Uh, Waiting guilty title song. And I know you had you had the Lost Crows, you know, but that that ship had sailed at that point. But it, it's very frustrating as a fan that we never got like you know proper releases of like Smile, Words You Throw Away, and yeah. you know Waiting Guilty, and oh, man Feathers. I mean, they just um, um, I don't know. I, I often wonder like. Uh, tied up and swallowed. How does that not make Amorica? I now, know. You know, I had, I had Craig uh, Helmrich on here. We did the Amorica episode, and he said he thought it would just interrupt the flow of the album. But, uh, I mean, it could have taken Downtown Money Waster off and put that in, and it would have been great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that, that was always the one song on that record that I, uh, I thought was a little out of place with the others. I actually preferred, I, when they did it live, and there's also a, a bootleg they have, um, from the band sessions, they did like a more electric version of that, and actually, that's that's to me, that's the better version. Well, yeah, they, uh, man, they, I don't know, I, I feel like they 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 made a few mistakes with stuff that they uh, that they didn't uh, properly uh, release, and um, you know, I look at like Bewildered, and I don't, know, I could just go on and on um, with um, Exit. You know, I mean, that, those are amazing songs. And one that that frustrated me, I think only the intro ever got played one time was Life Vest. Uh, are you a fan of that song? I love it. Yeah, the the band is one is probably like in my top five of their stuff, you know. Now, when you say the band sessions, are you referring to the release that actually made it to the Lost Crows or the band sessions that are, have a little bit of a different mix? Um, I, I still am partial to the original tape or you know bootleg that was circulating circulating around uh, 
before the Lost Crows came out. But you know, there's there's merits to each one, really. Yeah, I remember uh, when those. I guess it was for me. I first found out about them. I guess around like 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm just on. Oh, there were so many crows message boards I was on, but it may have been blackcrows.net. Uh, and I'm just like begging people for a BNP <laughs> for that, you know, and I remember finally got it and I'm like Wyoming and me. And I was like, Oh, you know, you heard people talk about that for so much on the message board. I just wanted to, it made me so angry. And I'm like, they're getting to hear this awesome music and I can't find anybody. So finally somebody was gracious enough to, to send that to me. And yeah, I was blown away um, with, uh, with those songs and just, I don't know. I I wish I could sit down with Rich one time, and, and even if it wasn't even you know recording it, and just man, what were you guys thinking sometimes when it came to what you did and did not release? Because uh, uh, you just you go through the archives, and there's there's got to be a a a, a real box set at some point. Uh, oh yeah, easily. I, I've had people tell me though that that's never going to happen. That that you know may or may not. Uh, know what they're talking about, but uh, so Southern Harmony. So obviously the single "Remedy" was your intro, and you bought the single and had "Darling of the Underground Press" on it. At what point did you go get the album? Not long after. I mean, I, I really I like that album. Uh, you know, I, I, I uh, and I, I subsequently got Amorica when it came out, but it was actually it really was like Three Snakes that really you know sent me in full force. You know, full on fandom you know for the for the band that that one really put me over you know that's interesting southern harmony is my favorite album of all time um i love it it's it's one of those ones it's like exile on main street when you put it Mm -hmm. on you don't i don't skip anything you know listen to it all the way through and it's always fascinated me how successful that album was because when uh moneymaker comes out comes out i think in like 89 or 90 you had um you know, you had the Poisons and the Def Leppards and the Bon Jovis, and then hip hop was just starting to kind of, you know, uh, rear its head. And you, nobody's really putting out what you would think of as that kind of '70s stone swagger rock and roll. And they are, and it's popular. Well, when Southern Harmony comes out, uh, if I have my timeline right, Nirvana has come out. Of course, Alice in Chains is out. Um, you know, Pearl Jam. So you had people rebelling against what at the time I think people thought was conventional music, which would have been the glam stuff. But then you had this band that sounds like, you know, classic 70s hard rock and they're not letting up. And the fact that they were able to sell that many albums, I think, is a true testament to the music uh, uh, considering what was popular at the time. Because, you know, it, for there for a while, it, it was not cool to really like traditional rock and roll. No, absolutely. And I, I even remember at the time, um, you know, back when MTV played music, you know, um, on the MTV Awards that one year, it w- they they opened the show playing Remedy. And, you know, it's and uh, other bands that performed were like Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And, you know, they were such a, a stark contrast to those bands. I mean, there's Chris and his, you know, he's wearing like a white fur coat and bell bottoms with, you know, uh, pot leaves down the side and everything. And, you know, then it's, they were just so different than everybody else that was performing. Oh, that was that was a great performance because if you remember correctly, bef- right before they started, he goes, "A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down." And then, yes, and then man, it was pedal to the metal. And you know, I'll I'll argue I'll argue to the death with anybody from from ninety two to ninety seven. There was no front man that that could get on the stage with him. Uh, especially when you look at those highs the moon uh, videos from ninety two. Mm-hmm. Uh, them opening with no speak no slave. He's a madman on stage, yeah. and uh, just uh, oh wow. So uh, so Southern Harmony was your first one. You get Amorica. What do you think about Amorica when you get it? I think I mean I liked it. I, I've never I never put on one of their records and, and was disappointed. I think I was too young at the time to really process that album. You know because I was like I said I was still only about like you know I was ninety four. I guess I was about thirteen. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just a kid, so right. You know those things. Then you know your your palate develops a little bit more as you get older, a little bit. So, um, I, I you know I liked it. It was definitely more of a studio record. They definitely spent a lot more time on it. That's for sure. Right, and that's one of the yeah, that's one of the things we'll get to with uh, with Three Snakes. I've always thought that 
kind of Amorica was a sweet spot from where they started and where they wound up. Uh, you know, you had songs like Conspiracy. Conspiracy very much could have fit on Southern Harmony or Moneymaker. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you had, you know, Wiser Time and uh, Curse Diamond, which I think uh, could have very easily fit on Three Snakes. Um, so let's get into let's get into Three Snakes a little bit. So we you mentioned <clears throat> about how Morka was a studio album. It very much was a studio album. After Southern Harmony, they'd gone in and recorded an entire album called Tall and had scrapped those um, had scrapped those sessions. From what I've heard, uh, there was somewhat of a battle between Rich and Chris over who was going to produce Tall, and Chris won out. And and somehow, um, I guess you know they eventually didn't like the mixes. Is is that what you've heard? Yeah, Chris and Rich battling—that's unusual. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, that, that's from day one. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've I've I heard that. I mean, I heard they they spent upwards of like a million on that record to not release it, you know. So, uh, which if 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 the Lost Crows, the final mix on that is anything that's you know indicative of the original sound, I almost prefer the the, the production and the sound of Amorica more so. Like it's almost a blessing in disguise to me that they they released Amorica instead. I, I would agree with that on most of those tracks. For instance, like High Head Blues. It it just doesn't have the I don't know what I like to call maybe the ear candy that uh, that the Amorica mix goes on yeah and so Amorica was very much a studio album they spent a lot of time on and of course you know they had the Amorica or Bus tour which was one of their more uh, kind of infamous tours with the you had the crow dressed like Uncle Sam on stage and <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you know they really started to stretch their stretch their legs so to speak uh, in you know kind of the jam band scene, I guess, if you want to. I think they may or I think that's, was that when they made the Horde Festival? Was that Amorica? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, 95, I think, was that. Yeah, so that would have been, yeah, yeah the Amorica. And, you know, they, of course, got a lot of press when that album came out because of the album cover. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, anyway, so they, they convene in Atlanta uh, to record Three Snakes, and from everything I've read, they, they basically recorded it in a house, in Atlanta and they flew everybody in and one of the interviews I read with uh Ed Harsh he said they pretty much had the songs written when they got there and Ed was kind of like I mean what do you need us for uh, y'all have all the songs written so Jack Joseph Puig uh produced it and the Crows I'm, I'm assuming that just means Rich and Chris but uh Three Snakes uh great album cover it's uh one of my one of my favorite uh, album covers it's very simple but it, it's very cool uh, a very heavy, heavy record. Uh, you you can't argue that there was a strong drug influence on this one. Oh yeah, and absolutely. And, and the lyrics are, you know, it's probably the, lyrically probably the heaviest album that uh, that they've ever done. So, like we said, it comes out in 1996. Um, I can't remember what the lead single was. Can you? Do you? I, I, I probably should have researched that before we came on the air, but I believe it was Blackberry. All right, that sounded. I, I I was thinking either Blackberry or Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, so, Amorica comes out. You're, you're becoming a bigger fan. Are you having anticipation for this album, or are you just you know? Of course, in those days, we didn't have message boards and Twitter and everything else, and you just kind of found out. I always found out whenever the single got released to radio. Or were you more plugged in at that point to where you kind of had an idea of what was coming? No, I mean, yeah, in the in the dark days before the internet, uh, I uh, I just kind of happened upon that when it was around the time of release, and uh, of course bought it because uh, I was already uh, you know seventy five percent hooked, you know. So. Right. So this was the uh, the last officially, I guess, recorded music of, that you would, we would get from Mark Ford and Rich Robinson for a while. I know they would do the band sessions after this, but those were not... I don't ever consider those really getting a proper release. So, all right. So, Ian, let's get down to it. So, the album, you buy the album, you put it in the CD player or record player, whatever you're using at the time, and you and, and you listen to the album the first time all the way through. What, what do you say? To you? What's your first impression? From the moment that Ed Harsh hits that downstroke on the organ on Under a Mountain... I was in. I mean, it's just that was a ride for me. That was the first time I listened to them, and it was so many emotions coming through. And then it felt something. Whereas, like 
Southern Harmony, great rock record, and the energy is there. And, you know, Amorica is what it is. But this one, to me, was just, it was it was touching in a lot of ways. It was exciting in a lot of ways. It's just, it really, it to me, it bridged the gap. Or actually, I should say, it was like the culmination of all the things they had done already, all combined into one, you know? I agree. And I think if you read the lyrics, it kind of tells the story of what's going on with, in their life, uh, different band members at the, at the time, too. Do you get the same sense of that? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, from uh, from what I could tell, what I've, you know, I, I've had some conversations with Mark Ford and it was a, it was a bleak time for them. You know, uh, creatively was very uh, lucrative, but, uh, you know, otherwise kind of uh, kind of some dark days going on there. You know, it's kind of a that's kind of bad that uh, it takes the the dark stuff to really make the best art because uh, you don't want anybody to have to go through with that. But at the same time, we kind of benefit from their from their rough times. Sometimes I feel guilty about that when I'm listening to an album. It's true. Um, uh, all right, so you mentioned "Under a Mountain." That's the first song. It's a uh, probably a top five Black Crows song for me. Um, like you said, the first thing you hear is Ed Harsh on the organ. Um, man, powerhouse of a song. I never get tired of hearing it uh, live. Um, and I think Chris Chris sounds great on this. Um, like I said, top five, probably top five Crow song for me. Um, definitely up there with uh, Gone, in my opinion, is there is the best album opener. So I, that's my opinion on Under a Mountain. Let's you're you're the writer. You're a little more articulate <laughs> than me, and so let's let's uh, let's hear your take on it. That put me on the spot, right? Um, you There's know, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I would be 100% agreement with you in terms of uh, it's um, it's definitely one of their strongest openers. That song is always one when whenever I would go to a show, if it, it was one of those songs where when they started playing it, you know, you felt I always felt fortunate that I got to hear it because it's there's certain songs when they pop them out, you know, you're like, oh, this is uh, it's gonna be a good night, you know. But uh, you know, it also spawned the uh, you know, lay down with number 13, which they kind of was a thematic. The 13 thing was a thematic thing for Chris, you know, thereafter. I was just about to bring that up. So it was, I guess it was their, uh, well, they wound up naming a tour lay down with number 13, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, Later, later on. Yeah. Yeah. So it was then that I really, I guess on one of the message boards, I finally put two and two together, what that meant. Um, all right. So we have under a mountain and then we have, uh, which is, like I said, Under Mountain Top 5 Crow Song. And then we have Good Friday. And if you're fortunate enough to go see the Black Crows on a Friday night, for a while there was a good chance <laughs> you were going to get this song, uh, which is not a type of song that you would normally think for an opener for a rock band. It's a, a little bit slower. This is a song that, for me, I go in and out of. Sometimes I feel like I've heard it too much, and, and I, I kind of want to skip it. But initially, uh, a really good song um, that, uh, like I said, if you went and saw them on a Friday, and I think it kind of would bode well for your show if you went and see them on a Friday, and this is what they opened up with. Uh, a crowd pleaser, for sure, uh, and a favorite amongst Crows fans. Absolutely. I mean, I think, and this is the case with with you know quite a few of their songs, but I think that song got legs even more so. It, uh, for after being played live because if you if you if you notice in, in a lot of the live versions the 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 intro is much longer the the harmonica part is longer and um you know i just uh, i came to love it that much more so through the live versions i never it never upsets me whenever chris picks up the harmonica oh yeah he's uh, he's got that's a uh, an unsung thing for him you know they don't he, nobody really makes mention of his uh his real chops with the with the with the heart, man. Oh, he's great with it. it I mean, he's up there with Jagger. Uh, oh yeah. I, you know, I love when you, when you're watching. Well, I've seen the Stones twice, but uh, when you're watching a you know concert, uh, a Stones concert on DVD or whatever, and Jagger picks up the the harmonica, you know it's going to be good. And yeah, I right. I don't think people realize how much Chris brings to the table with with the harmonica. And, He's able to play it for somebody. I mean, that's not obviously not his primary. His voice is his primary instrument. And I know he plays guitar a lot now, but to me, he was able to get a lot of feel out of a harmonica. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that 
it almost is on that song what makes the song for me. The feeling you get from that song is like it, it's that little simple line he plays on the harmonica. It's just it's it's heartbreaking in a way. Like I don't know I, I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but it's just that sets the tone for the for the mood of that song to me. What is your interpretation of that song? I I never I guess I never really thought too deeply on it, but uh, you know, just going going over the lyrics in my head right now. Yeah, I just I, I never have completely come up with exactly what I they're trying to convey with that. Um, I, I don't yeah. know. That's you know, which is not a bad thing. I mean, a lot of Crow's lyrics, I don't I don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Yeah, he, he is known for the more uh, esoteric, I guess you would say. But uh, yeah, it. Um, I mean, it always it just it seems like. Uh, you know, like a, 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 always seemed to me kind of like a, a relationship running its course kind of situation to me. But I, I might be I might be perceiving it too basic or or something. But all right, so the next song is Nebuchadnezzar. Um, that, that's another one that that I'm I'm hit or miss on depending on the mood uh, that I'm on. One of the uh, heavier songs as far as sonically, and and one of the faster songs on the album, and. I know it's a lot of people really like this song. Um, for me, I've just always been kind of lukewarm on it. I uh, initially, when I first started listening to the to the album, um, it was one of my top tracks on the album. I, I think to me that's a it's a real it's a real drug song, for lack of a better term. It's a it just feels like you know dirty, gritty, you know, kind of right. And a vibe to it and the riff i mean it's definitely a rich riff you know you can tell them tell them these days you know <laughs> that's for sure especially <laughs> it, it's funny um a lot of the uh the music that came out during the ford era uh, sometimes i wouldn't necessarily know who wrote the riff but now that rich has had his solo career i can go back and go yeah rich definitely wrote this song oh uh, yeah definitely. he has a he has a, a very kind of unique for sure style all right, track number four, One Mirror Too Many. In my opinion, one of the standouts on it. Um, I've always interpreted this as about drugs. What about you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, which is, I guess, like a, a, a thread that runs throughout the album, really. But, uh, you know, I, I remember reading a review at the time, and they said the way that song starts, it's almost like they drop you into the middle of a jam or something like that. And it turned out to be kind of true, because I, I think they flesh it out a little bit more live, you know, especially at the time. But yeah, definitely, definitely a killer song on the album. One that I don't think got played enough. Oh, definitely not. I have a, um, well, I can't pull it out right now, but, uh, you know, back when they started releasing the um, um, the actual live CDs, you know, you, you could pay, like, was it like 20 bucks or whatever, and you could get the live CD. There's a great version on one from uh, San Francisco when Ford came back in um, uh-huh. 2000, I think, yeah, I think in 2005. Um uh, yeah, if if I was if I were picking a playlist for this, and somebody's like, "Hey, you only pick like three or four songs off this album," uh, "One Mirror Too Many" is uh, is for sure going to be one of those. And uh, the song kind of had, you know, like you said, it 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 feels like they dropped you off almost in the middle of the song, and then you know, put the seatbelt on because it's going to be a fun ride. It definitely, and it's it's one of those songs too that uh, live. It's one of the I always felt like there was certain songs that because I, I oftentimes they would tour with uh the background singers and sometimes they would tour without them and it was one of those songs that stood on its own without them because they're not really you know there's no th- that that background vocal quality isn't part of it so you know you weren't it wasn't missing anything i always like the songs that aren't missing anything when they when the when the background singers are absent and it's one of the ones that i can really kind of flesh out mark's voice singing backup on Yes, absolutely. Um, on that one. All right, so the next song is uh, Blackberry, another uh, um, one of the faster songs and sonically one of the heavier songs on it. I like the song. I mean, I'd give it like a 7 out of 10 if I were rating it. I, I, I don't dislike it. Um, let's see. Which I'm interested to hear what you think about it because cause, um, you seem to really like Nebuchadnezzar and these kind of, to me, are kind of the same. The funny thing is... I always kind of liked the song. I mean, I, I spent, as you had mentioned before, I spent a lot of time on those Black Crows message boards back in the day. And uh, a lot of people are really down on that song. I mean, it is, to me, 
it does it, it is a little disjointed from the rest of the album in terms of it's more of just a straightforward kind of rock song i can see why they picked it as the single because it, it seemed to be the one that to me would have the broadest appeal um but i always liked it i never understood why people were were a little bit down on it they, they you know they they kind of question the lyrics and things like that they're a little more simplistic i guess well um i don't i don't think i've ever seen this one played live i i, I know they played it a lot uh, in the 90s but it's one that I don't think really returned to the set list very much when Mark came back to the band in 05, if I remember correctly. No, I don't remember hearing it then either. All right. Track number six. Man, there's not enough I can say about this. Girl from oh, yeah. a Pawn Shop. If Man, if this does not make the hair stand up on your arms, I really have to question your taste in music. Uh, <laughs> because Mark Ford puts on a clinic. Oh, absolutely. Puts on a clinic. The, the song starts off very slow, almost like a country song. And it just builds and it builds and it builds. And then, you know, at the end, Ford is just... It's almost like when you listen to it, wish you could just swift... I mean, uh, change the sound in your earphones just to be able to pick up that lead. Talking about playing with emotion uh. and live. This is one of those ones live when, when I've seen it. I just catch myself standing there, like not even like swaying or moving. It's just almost like time has stopped, especially when Mark was in the band because he just really, it's, it's everything that's great about Mark Ford uh, on this one. And I just, this is, this is top, you know, under a mountain and girl from a pawn shop are top five crow songs for me. And um, if, if an alien dropped down from, you know, wherever they're from, and they were like, hey, who are the Black Crows? I would give them three songs. I would give them uh, Wiser Time, Thorn in My Pride, and Girl from a Pawn Shop, and I would say that's the Black Crows. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a fair assessment. And, uh, yeah, the, it's definitely, I mean, I was going to say the same thing you just said. It's, it's if you ever, if anybody ever said, well, you know, what did, what did Mark Ford bring to the Black Crows, you know, during his time, uh, that would be, that song would be a prime example. It just he's he's it's he's on fire and uh, it's it's heart wrenching and it makes the song. And you know I, I've I've seen them in a lot of different incarnations and that's one of those songs where yeah and don't get me wrong I've always I, I was I was a big fan of Luther Dickinson in the band and I think he brought a lot to the band. But when certain songs when you would see them live played with another lead guitar player is when you would miss Mark Ford. And that was one of them, you know, cause it, he just, that was all him. It, it was. And yeah. Um, and I'm a big fan of Luther Dixon. Heck he lives hour and a half up the road from me here. Um, <laughs> the, the thing though, that about his playing and tell me if he thinks it's a fair assessment. I think the stuff that he recorded with the crows with war paint and, um, uh, the last album, he sounds great on, but to oh, me, yeah. the fact that he didn't—he primarily was a finger picker. It it really hurt him when he tried to play the Ford material live, and this is one when when they would play it, it just didn't have the same. I don't know. It didn't give me the feels, as the kids say these days, <laughs> uh, like Ford. Because, like I said, when 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 Mark plays it, even with Magpie now, you know, you're just—it's kind of like. A, that solo to me is kind of like the uh, the drum when the drums kick in on uh, the Phil Collins song uh, in the air tonight. Right, like, you're listening to this song to get to that guitar solo. You know, exactly. you're like, I'm ready, I'm ready for it. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, it's just it's a it's a and not to mention the lyrics. So it's very very sad. Uh, it's 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 a downer. It definitely is, but in a good in the best way possible. You know, right. And and from that solo to the the PS all my love that that repetitive ending oh man that's something that's something to behold as now a that, fan of music. Now that's that's one when you see them and they got uh charity and mona and chris they all kind of nail that part and it just oh, yeah. that's just like uh sprinkles on top of ice cream you know at that point <laughs> it's just great <laughs> all right so track number 7 only halfway to everywhere uh, this is another good one. Uh, they, I believe it's the Dirty Dozen Brass Band from New Orleans. Yes. Um, I mean, they used to play at like, uh, uh, fraternity parties when I was in college. Is that uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. They're, they're, they're so much, I went to uh, Ole Miss and so, uh, Oxford where Ole Miss is, was just a, a real big 
kind of a uh, mecca for the arts for a lot of college towns. And uh, Dirty Desert Bass Band would come through all the time. And I think they even played at my fraternity house. But, yeah, so they they, they had opened for the Crows some, and they, those guys became friends with them. And so they bring them in to, uh, to play this. This is a, I don't know, it's kind of one of the more unique sounding songs in the Crows catalog. Yeah, I mean, I always, that's another one of those ones that I always saw as a great live opener, too. And um, I think, actually, um, the version that always comes to mind for me, actually, uh, is on the uh, uh, Freakin' Roll, the live album. Took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. When they, at, at, right after the, the, the main bulk of the song, and they go into that breakdown where, uh, you know, I've actually never been able to decipher what the actual lyric is, but I think it's... Uh, uh, everywhere is everywhere and nowhere is nothing. You know, and they just repeat that and do a whole jam out between. Oh them. yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're exactly you're exactly right because it's <laughs> it's like you think like, it's going to be some profound lyrics and it's really not. It's just <laughs> it's just uh, obviously uh, probably written when somebody was high. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Just a, uh, a a great one. All right. This is of all the songs we're going to talk about. This is the one I'm the most interested in hearing your opinion on. Because I'm going to go ahead and say it, and uh, people listening to this on the message board are going to just probably let me have it. I do not like "Bring On, Bring On." No, huh? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to uh, politely disagree. <laughs> I, uh, I figured you would. <laughs> you know what it is about uh, "Bring On, Bring On" is, um, and and uh, I, I, I did a lot of read. I, I, I read a lot about the crows, um, as you might be able to tell, but. Uh, that around that time is when um, Rich was get, had gotten into um, Nick Drake. I mean, are you familiar with mm-hmm, Nick Drake? Mm-hmm. And um, bring on, bring on to me was the first time he demonstrated that kind of influence. The the real uh, open tuned kind of droning acoustic to me. That, and that's kind of what attracts me to that song. I can totally understand why it would be low on someone's list who is used to a different vibe from the Crows. It definitely is somewhat out of character for them it's something that would become more characteristic of them but you know that kind of first reared its head on that album to me has a little bit of the same feel as uh song number two on uh, the uh high water the song high water yes which i also am a big fan of so i guess this may be yeah so so when the when high water one came out uh we'll take a little sidestep here um I probably that was probably the most <clears throat> anticipated album in my mind probably in the last 20 years for me. Yes. And I mean I just had it in my head this is the next dark side of the moon. This is the next exile on main street. It, there's no way that it's not going to be. Mark and Rich haven't, you know, performed written together in 20 something years, you know, it's going to be great. And I built it up so much in my mind that there was no way it was going to be able to live up to it. And, but I, I think this is a mark of a good album. When I initially heard it for the first time, I got it on vinyl the day that it, the day that it came out. I was so disappointed when I heard the song high water and I was like, man, this just isn't doing it for me. And then I heard sister moon and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm getting let down. And I listened to it all the way through like twice. And then I was like, Oh man, you know, I just, I had just built this up so much in my mind. And so then I didn't listen to it until the next day and I put it on and I listened to it and I found myself falling in love with it. And there, some of the songs that I knew, there was probably four songs on there that um, I did not like at all initially. And then now three of those are three of my favorite songs on the album, which I think is a mark of a good album because it wasn't as accessible as I thought, excuse me, as I thought it was going to be. But it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful album, and it, it it really makes me look forward to you know the second part, which hopefully is going to be really soon. But uh, yeah, you're you're right um, that that bring on it does have that kind of feel on it. Off just for a quick side sidebar, what are what are your thoughts on the um, High Water One? High Water One. I mean, uh, the funny thing with with that album is I I, you know, I did it. I obviously like like probably many of the people that are deeply invested in the magpie salute um you know there was a high anticipation like he had said and when i bought it you know i had the same experience when i first played it through i wasn't 
I wasn't a big fan of the mix. Um, I felt that John Hogg is very low in the mix and, um, but it is again, like you mentioned, one of those albums that reveals itself over multiple listenings. And, um, those are always my favorite kind of albums and, uh, you know, things that you, you find elements in it that you never noticed before, you know, 10, 15 years down the road still. And that's, that's what high water one is, is becoming for me. And that's what Three Snakes is was for me for a long time. I mean, I've heard it so many times. I don't think I could unearth anything in that album anymore. But it, it kept doing that to me for a long time. I would, I would hear something I never heard before, and I, I really like that about it, certain albums. All right, so bring on, bring on. Uh, you're a fan of it. Normally, it segued into the song that was uh, that came uh, after it on the album. How much for your wings? Now, I'm the opposite of of the of this one. I love this song, and, and they would. Man, back in the '90s when they played it, this may be a you know 15, 20 minute uh, song, and 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 they really you know would draw it out. Um, I think the the lyrics are very simple, but they're very effective. Yes, and it is the first time I believe that Rich has a a, a, a prominent uh, vocal part on any of their albums. I think that was the first time. Yeah, and, and I don't think that would. I don't think that would happen again until was it losing my mind on lions maybe. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, obviously you followed them a lot uh, at this time and this was, this was, you know, kind of like my morning song when you got it, it may be 15 minutes long. What were your impressions of it? What they did with it live? I, um, I was a fan of, of the way they handled it live. I am not, um, you know, a lot of other fans of the black crows get real deep into the, uh, the jam aspect, which I like on a lot of their songs. Sometimes they kind of wide off for me and a little, they go in a direction that kind of, I'm always wondering, they do always manage to bring it back though, which is, is, uh, is the mark of a good musician, I, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, I mean that one in particular, they did get a little, that went off into kind of, uh, abstract territory a lot of times on the, uh, on the live versions. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I agree. I like, you know, jams, but I like for them to have a point. Yes. I, I don't like, you know, just jam- like sometimes to me, those wiser time jams, uh, especially the first part of it, just got a little monotonous, um, especially in the later years after Ed was no longer in the band. Uh, yeah. How much for your wings? It's almost at times kind of had like a, you know, a whole lot of love breakdown in it. It just got kind of, you know, <laughs> Hey, what's going on here? But, uh, I still love the song. I think it's a, a powerhouse song, which oh, yeah. which leads us to a song that is is one of I don't know one of maybe two songs that I really think are is a great. It's I think this I think let me share the ride is a great song, but to me it feels kind of out of place on this album. I could uh, I could definitely see that because it's more of a it's more straightforward. It's a different. I don't know what album it would belong on, though. This is the is the funny thing, but it, uh, you know, it's definitely crows. But uh, again, and this comes up a lot for me. It's another one of those ones that um, became something else entirely live, you know. And it often was paired with uh, a B side from Three Snakes, the Mellow Down Easy cover. Yeah, we're gonna get to the B sides. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, jump the gun, you know? No. Um, yeah. For especially during the '90s, you just about didn't see them without one another. Right. Um, now when they got back together and with, you know, um, with all, when they had Audley and Luther in the band and, and Jackie or whatever, you, you know, that was, wasn't always the case. Uh, I always found this to be a, a very fun song. Whereas we talk about, you know, this album's very dark lyrically. I, I found this one to be kind of one of the more fun songs on the, on the album for sure. Yeah, it was also it was one of those songs that I mean, yeah, yeah, it is it is a the, one of the lighter songs lyrically, um, and it also to me is the first time Chris started demonstrating that kind of um, hippie vibe, you know, that he kind of that, that's when he started going down that road for me, you know. Yeah, and he's he's going down that road uh, full full steam ahead now. Um, all right, so we go to the next song, "Better When You're Not Along." This is one of the all-time growers for me. 
this song has aged very, very well with me like, like a fine wine. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs on there now. Um, and, and it's kind of unique and, and, you know, with the way it starts off, but, um, the lyrics are, it's another song with the lyrics are pretty much straight, straightforward. And you got to think this is, this is coming from, this is coming from a personal experience for somebody. I'm not sure who the primary lyricist was on this one. Uh, it's another one that, um, I don't know if I've ever seen it played live. I've I've seen them probably about 20 times, but uh, I don't think it got played enough in my opinion. No, I don't think I've ever seen that one either. And I've seen them. I've lost count how many times I've seen them, but I, I've, <laughs> I don't think I've, I've seen it perform live. And it is, I don't, I don't like, like musically, I don't, I never really go for, for love songs because I think they, a lot of them are, are intentionally trying to, you know, I know they come off cheesy or they come off, you know, hokey or something, but that one is a, that better when you're not alone is, is a, is a genuine love song to me. It really conveys like a, just a, a, a love kind of vibe to it. And it's, it's, I always appreciated it for that. Well, a lot of times on love songs, they're intentionally put there to try to get the female audience. Exactly. You know, and I, I feel like, I mean, I may be naive, but I feel like Chris and Rich never, never fell for that. Even, even she talks to angels. I'm sure some, somebody that's very cynical looking back on it will say that, but that wasn't really a love song. I mean, that was actually a very sad song and it, you know, just about somebody having a horrible, you know, horrible life. Um, you know, and I, I never really, I guess I, I never viewed this as a love song. I mean, it clearly is. Uh, it just has such a, it just has such a cool tempo to it. I think it's one of the, one of the, one of the cooler tempos that, uh, that they've had. And yeah, that's, that's crazy that you've, as much as you've seen them, you've never seen it played live either. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a shame, really. You know, a lot of songs, they, they kind of backburnered for no clear reason. I wonder if it's the sitar. <laughs> it might have been, you know. <laughs> well, that's the thing about that song, too, is it, it, it was one of the first times they kind of, it's for me anyway, they kind of, it was like layered. There's a lot of textures in that song. You know, it's an acoustic bass and they layer all these guitars on top of it. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it was something I got from you or somebody else on one of the boards. It was uh, them trying to record it. Uh, it was a couple of bad takes, um, and uh, it's kind of funny because they they clearly get completely lost at one time, and it's just it's kind of funny because you think, oh, they're here these seasoned musicians, and you know you hear Chris, Steve, why don't you stop on the drums? And he's like, because nobody knew where they were. <laughs> yeah, <You laughs> no, I've never heard that. That's that's, that's yeah, yeah. I'll have to like it'd be great. I'll have to see if I can find it on my uh, on my computer. All right, so. On the official release, the last song is Evil Eye, and I personally could do without this song. I, I, it's one of my least liked songs in the Crows catalog. Yeah, I mean, I found out later on that that's a it's a it's a leftover from the from the Tall time. Like they that they first came up with that track then, and um, I don't know. As a closer, it doesn't it didn't really finish out on a on a on a you know a grand note for me. Um, again, I'm, I'm always hard pressed to find a bad song by them, but you know, it's, it is one that I don't go back to as often. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in the flow of the album. Right. Yeah. It kind of is disjointed. Yeah. And I don't know. There's something about the lyrics to me just doesn't, just doesn't pass the test for Chris, for Chris and Rich, in my opinion. I, I just, it never has done anything for me. And I've always thought they should have just ended it with better when you're not alone. Um, that's my opinion. All right. So those are the 12 songs that were on the actual release. Um, let's see, Ian can see me, but you guys out there can't, but I'm holding it up. So I've got the, the bonus track edition and he already mentioned Mellow Down Easy, which we'll get to first. But the first bonus track on there is Just Say You're Sorry. Uh, I really like this song. I think it, I think it would fit more on By Your Side than Three Snakes, and I'm sure that's probably why it didn't wind up on Three Snakes. Uh, one of the more straight-ahead rock songs that they were doing at the time, especially from these sessions. Um, and uh, I, I really, uh, I've always liked it. I, and I don't know if, I don't I think they played it live some in the 90s, didn't they? Yeah, actually, I always thought it was funny because there's a, there was a, a, a radio, you know, it was on, on uh, you know, one of those syndicated radio shows, and it was the premiere for Three Snakes. 
and I have it on a on a on a bootleg. And for this premiere, all the songs that they played for it were all the B sides. Like they and they opened with that one, if I'm not mistaken. Really, I always thought that was funny. They they premiered this album with all the songs that didn't make it on the album. You know, that's a total Chris Robinson <laughs> move right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you like the song? I do actually. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right in saying that it it has no place on the album. Uh, you know, in terms of the vibe of all the other tracks that made it to the album, but it is a great song, <clears> and it, it would have been better suited for by your side uh, absolutely yeah i think it <clears throat> i think it, there was there were for sure a couple of songs off by your side you could have taken off and you could have taken horsehead off and put that on there and it would have been uh would have been just fine all right so the second song is mellow down easy and if i remember correctly that's a cover of a willie dixon tune right yes but uh as with most of their co- covers they really kind of own them you know what i mean <laughs> oh totally and like we said earlier normally it was let me share the ride into mellow down easy um and uh there's a great version of that on the uh, freaking roll uh dvd that we've already mentioned before um so this is a, obviously like we said is a cover but uh man it sounds like it was written by the crows it absolutely does and it's really to me it was always a really good uh vocal platform for chris he kind of lets loose on that one and i always like that you know particularly on the on the recorded version all right so those are the song the two songs that are on the bonus edition what are do, do you know the other b-sides that were recorded during these sessions yeah they did um there was a, a bob marley cover uh pimper's paradise i've heard and, that and the other one was um oh i'm drawing a blank now all of a sudden what kind of fan am I? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I should have researched it more, but to let people out there know, when I do these Crows episodes, I do not like to do research for them because I like for it to just flow like two people talking and not sit here reading a bunch of stats. All right. So, all right. So, oh, we, yeah, go ahead. I just remembered it. It's somebody's on your case. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. All right. So, all right. So, obviously, we're, we've talked about the album. But you obviously were very plugged in when it came to this tour. Um, what are, what are some of your your fond memories of, of of this tour and and you know and some of the highlights for you? It, I I found it to be the first time they they kind of fully let the the jam the more jam based aspect of you know their performances come into play. And the first time they really fully started embracing a lot of covers, which I've I've been introduced to a lot of music through the Black Crows, through their cover selections and things like that. So, you know, the, the 96, 97 tour in support of that album was really a time where I kept, oh, there's another one that, uh, you know, there's another band I can I can dig into. And, and uh, I really broadened my horizons just based off of the covers they chose to do. I know they a, a lot on this tour did uh, "Torn and Frayed" by the Stones. Yes, and uh, I mean because of that, hearing how good Chris and Rich did with it, and then "Exile on Main Street" was an album for me that became important to me later in life. And I would have to say, of all the covers they do, "Torn and Frayed" is top two or three for me. Yeah, and it's. I always appreciated how they, they would take a, you know, I mean, it's not like Exile on Main Street's an obscure album, but they would find like the obscure songs on there and kind of bring them to life. And it's, you know, something you might have glossed over on your own. They kind well, of, And then they, and on that tour as well, they did a uh, big time by Neil Young, which had just come out. Yeah. That's what I always thought was very ballsy. And they've, it's, you know, the, the magpie subsequently has re- revived that song, which I always, I always thought that the Neil Young, the record that that comes from, was a, is an underappreciated Neil Young record, and the fact that they covered it like, you know, like two weeks after it came out. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I love the. I've got a lot of those uh, bootlegs from um, the Feather Festival, you know, and um, it's it's crazy, you know. They they may only do ten songs on those show on those sets, and four of them are covers. Yeah, I mean, I think there's actually one show um, from. Uh, vegas i think it was it's like right at the tail end of 96 and i would say like out of 16 songs like four, 14 of them were covers or something like that you know and that's again probably a, a chris robinson uh bold move to do all covers you know but <laughs> you know they they you, they can do all covers and and you 
if you didn't know any better, you'd think they were their own songs, you know. Uh, um, yeah, I agree with you completely. They've turned they turned me on to a lot of uh, a lot of music, you know, with the covers that they that they've done. So, what were what were some of the standout shows that you saw on that tour? Um, you know, to be to be straight up honest about it, I was not I was not able to participate in that tour. Oh, really? I was young, I was young at the time, and uh, you know, I I, I um, you know, I wasn't able to uh, to make it. I experienced that tour largely, you know, after the fact through recordings and things like that. And I was, you know, I, I it's one of the the major disappointments in my life that I didn't get to uh, see that tour in person. Well, what what are some of your fondest shows then that you've seen? Uh, well, the one I I just mentioned, even though it was old covers, I, I really liked the performances on that. There's um, two. Um, shows from uh, a, I believe the venue was a Supper Club, and uh, I believe they're primarily acoustic. Those always when when they choose to do an acoustic show, I really think it's a, a different way for them to shine, and I really like when they do acoustic stuff. So that those really stood out for me, what'd and you, a lot of the a lot of the further stuff too. What do you think about Crowology? Crowology, I liked. I liked the choices they made on it. I liked the performances that actually is my favorite version of uh good friday speaking of three snakes you know but, oh and the, and the version of um the version of girl from a pawn shop on there is amazing it is it's only lacking mark you know so. right only like it but i mean luther did a did a did a, a good job on that yeah i loved that album and that is a man that is an album made for headphones uh, if you ever want to just listen to get the bells and what all the little ear candy that they leave for you on that one. Um, oh yeah. That, you know, it, I love what they did on that album with sister luck. It, it, it just really, just really stood out. I want to get it on vinyl, but it's out of print and everywhere I look, it's like 150 bucks. I know. Um, I kicked myself for not buying it at the time, you know? Oh, uh, me too. I'm hoping to like walk in a record store and, you know, it'd be in a used bin and somebody not know what they have, you know, five yeah, bucks. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I'll definitely, uh, walk out with that one yeah I, I i like the acoustic stuff at times too i know on that um last tour they did with um luther where they did you know like a 90 minute acoustic set and then an electric set i saw them in memphis um for that one the next night i saw them in biloxi but then i saw them uh was probably my two favorite crow shows actually um at the uh, tabernacle in atlanta so hometown shows uh, the last that you know at the time that they were going to play in Atlanta, and I feel like I got to see every song I ever wanted to see. They played Tornado, you know, Thunderstorm, Six Fifty Four. I got uh, their version of you know No Expectations by the Stones. I got Torn and Frayed. You know, I got Feeling All Right, and then uh, you know Waiting Guilty. Just all these kind of white whales that I'd been chasing and never got to see. And you know, especially the standout to me acoustically on those shows was when they do hotel illness and Steve would put on the band, uh, the college or high school band uniform and come out there with the bass drum. Yes. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I love that. So, uh, obviously, you know, they, they, they finish, uh, with this tour and they go and, and record the band sessions. And, uh, if you're up for it at some point, I'd like to have you on and let's go through the band sessions. Um, oh yeah. And that, that is my, probably my favorite piece of work by them so i'd be more than happy to do that. oh yeah well so what what do you think without without talking out of, out of turn because i know you you've actually spent time with mark what do you think kind of kind of happened there at the end but what what do you think not not personally what happened to make them go from three snakes to chris dressing like a full-on pimp for by your side to me it seemed like it always seemed to me that they they tried to you know understandably you know clean themselves up a little bit and just i think at that time you know uh record company people and uh, got in their ear a little too much and and said you know if you if you go back to your go back to your roots so to speak and put out a, a shake your money maker type of thing and try to get back on that vibe you'll do all right you know and i think I think for the the one and only time in their career, they they listened to what somebody at the record company had to say, as opposed to doing their thing. You know, I, to me, I mean, I by your side has aged well with me. There there were times where I didn't like it, but now I, I, I 
I'm I'm perfectly okay with it. But to me, it tarnished their 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 legacy or reputation a small bit because here you have this band that puts out Shake Your Money Maker, which and I hate it that everybody I think it's lazy when people go, oh, you know, they were listening to the Faces. Of course, they, they were listening to the Faces. They're listening to other bands as well, though. Yeah. You, ha- you have that, and then they put out this, you know, kind of Southern rock masterpiece. Uh, in my opinion, Southern Harmony, and then they start getting a little more experimental, a little more druggy with Amorica, and then they completely adopt that for Three Snakes. And like you said, they they play an album release party and play the B-sides. They play the Horde Festival, the Feather Festival, and the, on the Feather Festival, half their songs may be, may be covers. And it was just so refreshing because you have this band that clearly had a lot of success and they're kind of, Hey, we're rewriting the record book. I mean, the, the rules here, we're doing things how we want to. And then it almost seems like Mark leaves the band and they like, don't know what to do. And, you know, all of a sudden Chris cuts his hair, you know, he starts looking like he's in the New York dolls, you know, <laughs> Chris is, I mean, Rich is wearing the roughly shirts, you know, and uh, they bring Audley, which Audley's fine, but I mean, he was not Audley, would have been a terrible fit on three snakes. Oh yeah. Uh, he was fine for lines. Now, I honestly always thought Audley was on by your side until recently. I re- found out that was all rich playing on that. But, yeah. He just double tracked himself. Yeah. But yeah, to me that kind of, you know, they, they definitely, I don't know. T- to me that tarnished their, their, their reputation a little bit. And I thought they started getting some of that back with lines, which, uh, I really like lines. There's three or four songs on there. I would cut off like young man, old man. And, I mean, was it? Yeah, young man, old man, and um, uh, come on and, and licking. I would take off of there, but uh, I thought they kind of got back to finding their way a little bit with lines. But yeah, that that was very frustrating. The the kind of the the straight up glam look, and you would see it like when they would play like the Tonight Show. Chris was just total. It, it seemed so forced the way he was acting. Yeah, it was almost like he was trying to reclaim. Uh, the uh, Chris Robinson that didn't exist anymore, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I guess, I, I, I don't know what they were going through personally at the time, obviously, but, you know, it was also they, the, their record label was bought out by Columbia, which was a big record label at the time. There was probably a lot of pressure on them to to deliver. And they, I don't know, sometimes you think you're stuck in a rut, you, you try something new, you know, but it just didn't really pan out. So, um, yeah, you're right. And, um I don't know. I often wonder if you could talk to Rich honestly. Would would he would they go back and redo that? Yeah, I mean, you know, Rich is Rich to me. Anything I ever read with Rich, and they ask him about any, you know, facet of the band, he always has. He always takes something good. It seems takes something good away from whatever they were doing at the time. You know. Well, I've and, heard I've heard him say that if he had one to redo, lines would be it. Yeah, which is funny because to me that seemed like a lot of he was the more dominant one on that album. It, it was a lot of more of his riffs and things, and it seemed like he was directing that so much more. Yeah, um, I've heard him say he didn't like the mix on some on a lot of the songs. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, well, listen, Ian, this has been uh, a pleasure. I hope you've uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Oh, absolutely, it's been great. Thank you. Um, and if you'll just hang, hang on the line for a second after I, after I stop recording, I'll talk to you for a minute, but, uh, I would love to have you back in the future. Um, we could definitely do the band sessions. Like I said, I want to go through, uh, the entire catalog, including the, uh, page, uh, live album. And then I want to, you know, tackle tall separately and the band sessions and then, you know, get into everything and i kind of want to spread it out over like maybe two years because a lot of people listen to this podcast that aren't big black crows fans i don't want them to get tired of you know hearing me talk about my favorite band but uh right. um let's see here uh normally when i have people on i do a rapid fire segment with them uh five it. questions so we're, uh, just the first thing to pop in your mind favorite unreleased crow song life fest uh can't argue with that one. Mine is actually probably Wait and Guilty, but uh, Life Vest, a close second. Um, let's see. Favorite song to to ha- see performed live? Uh, man. That's a good one. Um, I'd have to say uh, uh, Ballad of Urgency, Wiser Time Together. 
Favorite Black Crows guitar player not named Mark Ford or Rich Robinson? Uh, uh, Luther Dickinson. All right. Favorite tour? Let me just... That I've seen or that I've... Just in general. That you've seen. That would be the uh, 2005. All right. Favorite cover that they perform? Feeling All Right. Yeah, that's a good one. I was lucky enough to get to see that one. Oh, uh, I'm jealous of that. I'm jealous yeah, of that. and they also played Fearless that night too. Another oh, one of their uh, one of their great covers. Yeah. All right, Ian, this uh, if you're willing, this won't be your last time. Uh, Absolutely, Been a on, pleasure on the uh, podcast. And uh, a shout out to our friends on the uh, True Fans of the Magpie Salute Facebook uh, group. Great people on there. The the Boger Brothers and oh. Jessica Colreco. I've had her on here. Craig Helmrich. Um, if you're, if you're a fan of the black crows and you're not familiar with the magpie salute, uh, you need to remedy that. That's not, not how you like the pun there. Uh, <laughs> you need to remedy that and, uh, go get both of the magpie salute albums. And, uh, if you like them, uh, ask, uh, Ian to, uh, join the, uh, the message board cause it's very active. It's very supportive. It's very positive. Um, which sometimes you don't always get in the black crows community. Uh, yes. we, we have a tendency to fight amongst ourselves, but anyway, <laughs> uh, Ian will be back on at some point. Uh, we'll talk some more black crows music with him. Uh, like us on Twitter at digital killed and subscribe to our podcast on whatever format you so choose. Chris will be back with me next week. I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving and thanks for listening. <laughs>